Today's episode is a bit of an interesting one. I went around flyering for a comedy show at Munning in Epsom, so please go if you're around there on July 15th. And I normally do all my shoots at home, but didn't have time, tried to fly, fit the two, and thankfully I got to do some record the podcast, but on a desk in an optician's place in Epsom. So there may be some cutback with them talking to customers and me trying to be a bit cautious not to get in their way. But it is an absolutely amazing episode with a terrific guest. It's going to be a bit like a roller coaster with lots of intriguing bits. But you're going to find it very informative and going to be absolutely splendid. Let's see what happens. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Comedian's Paradise, a podcast where I speak to Cinder Lane amazing and transcendent people from across the globe. People who inspire comedians like you and me to live life on our own terms. If you like this podcast, it was a view on iTunes or Amazon. Subscribe, share it with friends. If it wasn't for your taste, this is a dark secret between you and me. Now, today's guest is Naomi Paxton, AKA Ada Camp. She is an absolutely amazing and hilarious character comedian. She's a woman with many different hats. She is like the MI6 of comedy. One minute she's doing this, one minute she's doing that. She's a woman of many different mysteries. And she is quite a, what you're going to find today is a unique and inspiring creative story of one of my favourite comedians in the circuit, Ada Camp. A unique and fascinating time. You guys are going to absolutely love her. Let's say hello to Naomi Paxton. Hello, Naomi. Hello, and thank you for that introduction. I shall try and live up to it. Thank you very much for asking me to be on here. Sure you will. So it's a pleasure to have you, Naomi. Um, please tell us a bit about yourself. Like, how did you get into comedy, and what led to your alter ego, uh, Ada Camp? Um, okay, so um, hello, I'm Naomi. Um, I initially trained as an actor. Um, but I always loved comedy. I always loved comedy, mostly kind of um, uh, obviously sort of TV stuff and theatre stuff when I was younger. Then when in my teens, I used to go um, to the comedy store players. I used to kind of clean cars on a Saturday to go and see the comedy store players on a Sunday and um, uh, watch like Victoria Wood and kind of Josie Lawrence and stuff over and over again and Carol Burnett over and over again. And um, used to go to the players music hall as well when I was a teenager, which was in London. So I just really loved the live performance and I loved the... Uh, that live playfulness and interaction with the audience. So I like the scripted stuff, but I also really liked feeling like it was important that the audience was in the room and it was really important that we were there. Um, so I always loved comedy. And then I went to do a drama degree and um, went to drama school after that. And then kind of got involved in performing a bit after drama school. I got involved in some radio comedy um, on new digital radio stations that were happening and then became part of a little um, sketch group called Traces of Nuts. 
um so it's radio comedy and then i sketch shows um not loads but we did a bit we did like the leicester comedy festivals and we did a couple of things and then i eventually um through sheer accident i uh became part of a comedy a late night comedy magic cabaret show and oh. playing the kind of um uh angry bitter but uh, very sequined uh, wife of a magician character. And so we did that double act for a long time at London's German Street Theatre, and we did a few different venues, and we did Edinburgh as well. And so Ada Camp, the character, emerged from that experience. So that's where that kind of mix of sort of cabaret, comedy, and, um, and magic. So Ada Camp emerged from my experience in that double act. But I've always loved comedy. I just didn't quite know. I don't know. I was always, always felt quite self-conscious. I think as an actor, you're often in your mind you want to play other people and not yourself and in a way Ada is more revealing of me probably than if I was just doing stand-up as me um but I, I love the artifice I love the playfulness and theatricality of it so um so yeah so a bit of a circuitous route but um yeah that's that's where she came from yeah there's a lot of things you pinpointed there which are quite fascinating because you and I'm guessing that so you you were fascinated by the comedy store players which is an improv troupe and so are you more fascinated by comedy and arts entertainment where it's very engaging with the audience, where it's not just straight, you tell a joke, boom, you like to get involved with the audience and play with them. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I really like stand up as well. Um, I was a huge fan of Eddie Zod uh, back in the day, and um, yeah, Simon Munnery and Joe Neary and Josie Long. Um, and I'm, I've always been a fan of stand up. But I think there was something about the theatricality of um, the playfulness of stuff like the comedy festival players and the musical. So if you go to the players every week, and I was going every week, of course, you realise they have a number of formulas they fall back on and they have a number of different tropes. Well, I love that even more. I loved the way they were kind of seamlessly able to sort of bring things that they already knew they had, you know, or scenarios into the situation. And for an audience that was encountering that for the first time, it just seemed as smooth and live as it had when I first saw it. And I, I really love that mix of expertise and improvisation, confidence. So, um, and when I did the, the cabaret show, it was very interactive because the, in that show, the magician didn't speak and I did all the talking. So I was the misdirection really. So a lot of it was talking, most all of it was talking to the audience to explain the tricks and get them to do stuff. So it kind of forced me to, to ad lib in that way and to, to give the character um, a kind of a reality rather than just sort of scripted lines or, or just, uh, and, and that was a space I found I could play in and, and that people seem to enjoy. You really just go with what the audience want, don't you? So people say to you, oh, you're great when you talk to people, you go, yeah. great, I'll do more of that then. Um, so it's just kind of trying to feel your way and go, where am I comfortable? Where do I feel live? And what do people find funny? Mm. What, what, so is, was it a bit like the Uncle Roger sort of journey? I mean, it's a slightly completely different types of comedians, completely different stories, but the story of Uncle Roger is that um, Evelyn Mock created a character of an Asian uncle, then Nigel tested it out and he did a different sketches, and then it became that. And this is similar to sort of what you did there. You played around different things. You're like, oh, okay, people like this, and I'm enjoying this. So I kept on playing and playing it. And then the thing that's quite interesting that I also find interesting use, you've got a duck with the character as well. And you, it's, it's like, how did it lead to where it is then? Because I mean, I love what you do, but you do the trick and you get the duck to talk and it's, it's incredible. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I love I love Evelyn's comedy. I think 
yeah I think it's that push actually it was it was I would have I didn't really know what to do with it because it was sort of this double act and then somebody came to see the show who ran a sort of um a sort of cabaret sort of movable feast and said oh you should do that by yourself and so gave me an opportunity and that really pushed me into that space I don't think I would have done that without somebody saying to me I think you should do it by yourself um but the duck now uh, the duck is a dog toy that uh, I found um and I think magic, magic is quite fun, but can be sort of overly serious. And um, I've never wanted to pretend that Ada was secretly reading your mind or all these kind of things around mentalism, you know. So I thought, well, if we do it with the duck, then the trick is still good. But we're all in a sense of playfulness because we obviously realise that the duck. So we're all investing in this nonsensical moment. So the trick still has to happen. But I'm not I'm not sort of preying on anybody's vulnerabilities um, in that way. So it's a kind of an honest, honest bit of open misdirection, really. That means that everybody can be on the same level of playfulness. And yeah, I'm doing a trick, but I'm I'm not I'm not pretending that I've got secret powers. I mean, the duck has powers, but I do. What am I thinking now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have the duck with me actually, so I just can't tell you. Sorry. <laughs> but. Um... So, yeah, that's that's it's awesome. It's um, but do you, do you, because you've got the duck and you, it's a character act. One thing I think sometimes I see with character act is that you feel more freedom than perhaps other acts. That you can push further because you don't have to get these sensibilities. You you don't think that you're saying them. It's that person who's saying them, so you can maybe push it a bit further than perhaps someone who's just playing themselves on stage. Uh, yeah, I think definitely in terms of audience impressions, first impressions, you know, what an audience sees when you come on stage. I think because I do in my other life, I do quite a lot of public speaking and I do events and I know I, I know how to present myself in that context and I can anticipate what the audience are going to see and then either kind of play into that or subvert that. But I think on stage, particularly in stand up or in the, on the comedy circuit, maybe less so on the cabaret circuit, but more on the comedy circuit. Um, if you get someone like Asa, who's very elaborately dressed. Yes, it's incongruous because if it's been a load of kind of normal stand-ups and then you have a character act, that's quite strange. But also there's a sense of uh, freedom in that, that you just don't know what she's going to say. You just don't know what's going to happen. And for me as a performer, that's, yeah. a, that's a really lovely space to be in. Because I know the audience are making conclusions because I'm dressed, you know, whatever it is in whatever venue, but actually the kind of, the, it gives me back some of the agency really to take that in the direction I want to, or at least to start taking it in the direction I want to go in rather than having to adhere to what the audience sees when they look at me if I was just dressed as myself um, mm. and that's not I mean that's not something I, it's not something I wouldn't do but I think it's a conscious choice to enjoy it and also to free up my own my own creative juices in that moment really so I'm not held in by the sound of my voice or my accent or what I say or my interactions or what people think of me um Ada exists in a different space and again like the duck actually we're all colluding in this they know it's a character act they can see the makeup you know we're all colluding in a space of playfulness and that's the space I want to be in so I think it just it's yeah. a way to unlock that door it's not the only way but it's the way that I found that I really enjoy to be honest there's two interesting points that really intrigued me here because so do you feel at times that an audience can sort of pick up if you're very scripted and not actually excited yourself? Because do you, I mean, and how much of your shows are ad-libbed and improvised to have that spontaneity? 
even though, I mean, you obviously, a lot of it's quite prepared and it's really gone through a lot of iterations. Do you leave a percentage of it to be free for ad-libbing and whatever happens, happens? Yeah, so I think, I think audiences can tell when stuff is scripted. Um, and often when I've written a story that I'm really happy with, I then really take care in my performance of it to make sure that the rhythms of it are broken up and that, that there is a feeling of liveness about it. Um, because I've noticed that when I get comfortable with it or I'm, you know, not, not, not to mess up where the audience laughs are, but in terms of a, a rhythm of storytelling or a fluency of storytelling, um, I want to make it seem like it's more anecdotal, more ad-libbed in the moment. And I think when it's not successful, I've had comments or you, I even get comments thinking, you know, oh gosh, how do you remember all those words? Well, that's not good because then people know you've learnt words. You want it to appear that it's live. In terms of the show, say, that you saw at the stand in 2019, um, I would say that um, probably about 80% of that was scripted um, because obviously the beats with the, with the technician, we need to know where everything is. Any bit of audience interaction, um, I've got room within my own sort of mental timekeeping for a bit of ad-libbing there so it is about keeping to time particularly in Edinburgh because I know I've only got 50 you know 55 minutes um, and I know we have to hit certain tech cues um, so I allow myself some leeway for interaction um, but I don't I don't kind of go all out um, because I think just a free-form show where I interact with the audience would be fun um, but I like to have some sense of uh, structure and journey I think otherwise it can all get a bit samey um, and with a character like Ada who's quite over the top um, you need those moments of light and shade and you need to you need to feel when when it's building and you know then does the audience you know how to respond um, but you also then you need a glimpse into yeah. her in a longer show you don't need that in a shorter set but in a longer show you need you need moments of quiet and constant interaction would probably lead to me chasing laughs um, and, and could be, end up being quite a bitty thing. So yeah, probably about 80% um, interactive in a live show, in a scripted show, in a cabaret show, um, probably 50-50, because obviously I've got to keep to time and know what I'm doing, um, but I also, I'm there to play with the audience. So, but yeah, but I never go completely off piece. I'm never completely without a script. Mm. And do you, when you're playing at lots of stand-up sets as well, do you just things a little bit you mentioned a bit about cabaret and your hour show, you adjust a little bit, but how do you adjust it to the stand-up circuit where, I mean, there is a lot of different acts on there, but most of it is sort of set up punchline. And how do you sort of, a lot of it for stories, but how do you sort of, how do you fit in those sort of lineups? How do you balance your act with that? I think it's, it's really about looking at the audience and looking at what they're reacting to. And that's kind of the shape of the room, where they are, um, how drunk they are, what time of day it is, what who are the other acts are on the bill, what they're laughing at and what they're responding to. Because there, I have a number of different you know, possibilities um, that I can do. And if I just need to come on and be more authoritative or, I don't know, slightly more crude or um, slightly more set up joke, then I can do that. I'd rather be interactive, but if they're not up for that or they need time to adjust, then I'll try and I'll try and accommodate them. So really, I try and watch where they are. What I end up doing a lot actually is emceeing shows, and I enjoy that because even if the audience are a bit shocked at the beginning, by the end, you know, we're all best friends, which is really nice because you get to kind of come and wear them down. Um, but yeah, it can be hard in a in a comedy lineup, depending on who the rest of the acts are. It can either come across as a brilliant sort of weirdness or just a weirdness. And so my job is to try and listen to the audience and the other acts and work out how best I can 
fit within that evening and make sure that you know I don't you know burn it out for the next person for, for the MC coming on so yes I think it, it is tricky and it can be tricky to pitch and it's various levels of successful but the best thing I can do is is try and pitch it directly for that audience every time yeah and at the end of the day yeah you, it's it's your act it's who you are and like some people aren't going to like it and at the end of the day there's only so much you can change it at the end of the day you are what you are isn't it and you just people yeah. either like don't because I, I heard in an interview with Casey McNeil he is from the Boston circuit and he was with Margaret Cho one of his big university shows and he said one of the difference between like comics that are emerging and the great comics is that the great comics accept themselves who they are and it's just I mean, they do try and play different moves, but at the whole of it is you either like me or you don't. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, when I've put on all that makeup and all that stuff, there's no there's no way of me whipping it off and going, oh, you don't like that. I'll just do something like it. it's there. So we have to live with it. Um, and and yeah, and then it's just it's just a really good learning experience for me every time who, you know, you often get people who people who I think find it funny won't bat an eyelid. Other people who I go, oh, God, they're going to hate me. They start howling. You just you just don't know, do you? And it can really depend on I did quite early on. I did um, some rural touring. Uh, so it was me and uh, three other performers in a van um, touring around uh, the UK, like little community venues and and all kinds of stuff. So literally sort of village halls and load of that and that was you'd pitch up uh in the middle of nowhere with respect um and, you know and put a show on and to, to people in where they were and you'd often get people go gosh we've never seen anything like this before and you think well god you don't really get much out here but that's a really good way of, of just learning to be yourself and be comfortable in your skin because you can't if you go on feeling sort of subservient or go on feeling insecure already you're just going to relay that nervousness to the audience so it's that mix of confidence but also you as the performer behind that really yeah. listening so you're not just bowling on through um but you do yeah you do have to make a decision about what you're going to do and if people don't like you you're going to have to go well okay that doesn't mean i did a horrible show it means that that's not for them um yeah so it, whatever yeah i think it's just about learning mind games and experience to be honest the more you do it the you you never get used you always want to do well always but you get used to managing your own expectations i think mm. and that's 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 the thing, isn't it? And that's part of the fun. It's like it's like a ride, like when, whenever you go on stage, because you can't possibly know every situation, and you just got to take it. It's that's that's if if you killed all the time, you'll be very boring. Well, yeah, then you'd be waiting for the fall, wouldn't you? And then when it came, it would just be devastating. I think that I end up doing um more recently now. I've been doing family gigs, and actually, I was really wary of doing that at the beginning, and now I really enjoy it because for kids, kids will just go where go very quickly where adult, you'll take adults a long time to get to you can just introduce a, a new and strange idea to kids and just go this exists play with me and they'll go fine you know whereas with adults you really have to kind of you know take that journey in smaller steps so that I can try out ideas much quicker in front of the family audience and then if they work I can kind of work out then how to do baby steps it more for, for adult audiences it's part of that versatility I suppose isn't it yeah and yeah you can't win every time but you want to you know you want to be you want to be get I want to be getting better constantly and one of the things is the UK circuit, like they have the mainstream circuit and they have the, I, I always get, I don't know how to say this because I'm worried I'll get into trouble with this, but the urban circuit, is that the right thing to say? I don't know either. 
<laughs> but, the, but there's also the cabaret circuit as well, isn't there? So there's the variety circuit, there's the... And how, how do you sort of develop your bits? Because being that you do, your, you do all sorts of different things with it, do you go to lots of new material nights as well? Or what do you do to test these things out? Um, so uh, I often test them out if I'm, depends, I often test them out if I'm emceeing and an audience is, is going really well um, or the audience is really liking me, then I'll try and throw a few bits in. I mean, obviously this has been much harder over the whole kind of last year um, because on Zoom you don't really want to experiment that much because you're not getting that feedback and you don't want to lose heart in a, you know, in a new bit. Um, but since we've been back doing live shows, um, I've, I've tried very much in my live in my live shows to add, add as much new material as I can. Um, I guess, again, it's about thinking about the audience. And I, I mean, I do the Monday Club at Museum of Comedy, which is a really great place for trying, trying out um, in a lovely room. I guess it's also because I do, so I do magic shows and then cabaret shows and then variety shows and then comedy shows. Mm -hmm. So each audience is, is different and is expecting something different. Um, and in different venues as well. So it is about framing framing Ada for that audience. And that necessarily gives me a different focus. Um, so I, for example, during lockdown, I started doing uh, singing, which is something I'd wanted Ada to do for years, but was too chicken really to do. And then, so she started doing it and now I'm getting gigs for Ada to come and sing places. So that's another whole thing. So that'll be much less chat and actually then about the songs. So I think it, in terms of developing new stuff it's partly about my own boldness in doing it and then if you do it with confidence the audience is probably likely to go with you at least at the beginning for goodwill purposes but that is sounds like you're in a very exciting and fun position in a way but challenging because one thing that i'm a bit jealous of the magicians is that they whenever they get a private show or they do a lot of shows is they always like they get an hour to do all their stuff with stand-ups they do like 20 minutes and it's, it's, you can try out so much more in that time. But you play so many different circuits. I mean, like different types of rooms. That must be exciting. It's exciting. It's hard, it's hard to, hard to be boxed. Like I'm really lucky with my agent that my agent has a lot of variety acts. Cause I had that, when I was first starting, I was trying to get representation. People like, well, what is it that you do? And I had people going, well, I'll represent you if you're just going to be a magician or if you're just going to be, and I was like, no, I want to be, I want to do all those things. I want to be versatile. Um, so it can be hard for people to box you, but it also means that you are working. You've got more opportunities to get work and do, do well in different spaces. Um, uh, and try try new stuff out and stretch the character and see where she works. So yeah, I enjoy it. I really enjoy being that versatile because I enjoy watching a variety of things. Um, so, and actually you learn such a lot from working with different performers. You learn from stand-ups and you learn from cabaret artists and you learn from magicians and you learn from variety people. And and yeah, and, and so that that just it gives the character, kind of softens all her edges. And you what you want is to be strong and versatile and and uh, successful so i suppose the more experience you can get in different in front of different audiences and in different rooms um the better i think you, yeah and then you don't make excuses or like one of the things sometimes i hear from from performers is they blame the audience for having done well i mean sometimes it is their fault but at the end of the day it's it's, it's like it's part of the fun isn't it it's a learning process like when when you get too much in the process of blaming external things you you don't take responsibility for what you're doing 
Yeah, I mean, it, I, I would say less the audience. Often you blame the room, you know, or the sound equipment. The room, the room layout just affects audiences so much. Um, it really changes the way that they they hear and, and see and, and, and interact with performers. So I think I, I think, yeah, I mean, yes, you don't want to blame the audience or blame external noise or any of those things, but um, you can learn if you, if you can get over the kind of personal feeling of, or your one's own defensiveness, um, then you can learn exactly what, well, why something didn't work or was that you? Um, was that because they were drunk? Was that because they couldn't hear you? Was that because they couldn't see you, you know? Sorry, <laughs> it's a bit of an interesting situation. I know. I'll, I'll okay. move a bit closer here. Yeah. Cool. So. Um, let's. <laughs> we're going to talk about this. <laughs> no. Um, well, well, I forgot. <laughs> oh, we just about blaming different things. I was saying you need to yeah. get over your defensiveness about it and, and actually then begin to work out what the issues were. And the issues may be technical and they may be about you and they may be about audience distractions. Um, and it may be that a certain audience doesn't, I don't know, your voice doesn't work with them or your whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's trying to analyze and make it better, I think. So it's just a learning process of trying to get over that. But yeah, I don't think you should blanket blame anything. Um, you also shouldn't take it all on your own shoulders. If, you know, their cabaret tables and everyone's facing in the wrong direction, they can't see you, then they're probably not going to interact very well. It's a, it's a bit almost like the Katy Perry saying, don't be too hard on yourself or the situation, like enjoy the experience and just keep getting better and better and just, I, just enjoy the journey. I think that's what's so good about Even Edinburgh. The... Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's what's so good about Edinburgh because you, as a cabaret performer, which is not the same when you're an actor, I don't know what it's like when you're just a straight stand-up, you end up gigging pretty much all day because you do spots in different shows. And so you have no time to dwell on, well, that didn't go well, because you go, well, in an hour, I've got to get across town and do another show or another show. And so doing that number of spots builds a resilience in you. And, and then actually the things that stick with you at the end of the night are probably the really important things, not the little things you're going to mull over from venue to venue. So the being able, just gigging more builds up your, your resilience as well as your expertise. Whoops. What's the point where it could be quite distracting? Like, I mean, like, what's the point where, because if I've seen sometimes in situations, and myself included, where if you don't get the time to reassess things, you keep going down the same channels and you don't get, you don't get the results you want. How do you balance that out? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just a process. It's like trying a bit of new material. Like I've got a bit of material I've been trying for a while now and I really want it to work. And I think I'm just getting around to the point of view where I think it just doesn't work. <laughs> and I'm like, now do I push on through because I like it or do I really just suck it up and realise that it doesn't work? And stop trying to make audiences laugh at this. Um, and I think I've got to that point. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a balance, isn't it? It really is a balance. <laughs> It's, uh, it's a yeah it's always you just gotta go with your gut in those situations yeah i think so 
and uh, trying emotionally, trying it's the emotional management, I suppose, of it all. Trying not to get paranoid or trying not to get over overly pleased or overly miserable. It's trying to trying to keep see it as a professional thing. The problem is that you're in it. Um, but maybe that's a bit easier for me in a way because Ada is the face of it. So if a show does go badly, I can take all my makeup off and run out the back and no one realizes it's me, um, which is great. So I can be going, going. if I imagine if I was going home on the train with a load of people that see my show and hated it, they wouldn't know that was me. Um, and so that's a really, that's a really good position, <laughs> a very lucky position to be in. That's yeah, and then you can you can get your own personal space, and I'm, I'm, I imagine that with people like Jimmy Carr when they're up in Edinburgh Fringe, that you know you get no space if you're yeah. in a coffee shop just chilling out, your stuff can get bothered. Yeah, it's good. It's good for escaping, but bad for networking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that I find quite interesting about you is your MI6 life, like. <laughs> <laughs> How do you manage to, to have all, because you, you've got qualifications, you might have as many qualifications as David Attenborough with 24 <gasps> degrees. What? No. <laughs> I've got a PhD. That's my shiniest one. Because okay. you're an expert in lots of different fields, has that shaped your comedy in a way? With the magic circle, learning that, and then doing all these other things along the side and winning all these other awards. I think, mm, I don't think it's shaped. I don't think obviously it has, but I think circuits, networks, and experiences, it definitely has. Because I, because of the circuits I move, like my social, my kind of social and work networks in my MI6 life. Um, necessarily lead me to you know certain groups of people or certain um certain organizations and then when they find out that i also do aid camp then um they often will get aid camp involved and then that's again for a very specific audience so ada doesn't talk about anything that i research and i don't try and shoehorn that in at all it's a different thing but i think it because i'm underneath it i think I, there's a lot of stuff that i'm aware of including like i don't know uh, when I'm thinking about developing Ada's shows or thinking about the language I use or the way I describe people on stage or the stories I tell, there's a lot of things because I'm underneath it that I'm really careful of in terms of not, you know, just making sure that there is a, a diverse cast in my head and that I'm not just kind of casually um, excluding people and that I'm not... Um, using some of the more problematic tropes I think for magic so none of that none of that work should be visible I think it all should be it should just come across as a really fun show but I also don't want anyone to come to my show and feel excluded or triggered or upset for anything that I'm saying and that that may mean losing jokes that were funny 10 years ago um, but that's worth it because I, I don't want to inadvertently um, make somebody feel excluded or unhappy um, and so I suppose my my other life really influences my work in that way because I'm just much much more aware and more careful than I think I would have been had I only been on the cabaret and comedy circuit. Ah. So it's made you more aware of the sensibilities. Yeah and the possibilities too and the gaps I think I'm always looking for the gaps um, in my other work where, where are the gaps where are the stories that haven't been told where are the things that are missing and then when I look at 
where Ada sits, and Ada sits in a lot of gaps because there isn't really a place for her. Um, I think then it's about really mo moving through those gaps with with um, with confidence and pleasure, and saying, "Well, this 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 may not be what you're expecting, but it doesn't mean it's not going to work. So let's let's go for it." Or you may think that I'm going to make loads of jokes about this. I'm not. Or you may think that Ada, you know. There, there are all kinds of things. So I end up forming a lot of feminist events or a lot of um, LGBTQI plus events. Um, and Ada doesn't talk about those things necessarily, but I'm there underneath it. And I'm not gonna say anything um, as Ada. Ada's not gonna say anything that is excluding um, or discriminatory. And, and it means that just everybody can play. It doesn't have to make it worthy. It just means that it's, um, Ada's, Ada's very open. And I want, I want that to be a, a space that she can move in and through. Hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. Good. Of it. It's yeah. We're in an interesting situation. So lots of yeah. Is one of the things that sort of drives you now? Because with everything that's happened in comedy, is to create something different to to be. Because I spoke to President Abundra in a podcast. And one of the things that drives him is that he likes being a comedian who's trying to create something different and memorable. And does that sort of drive you in terms of trying all these different fields, combining like your different things that you're involved in? I don't know. I don't know if I have a kind of legacy project per se. I think like winning the Natties was amazing and the old comedian was amazing. And that has given me more, given Aidan more visibility. Um, I suppose I just want to make her, I just want to make people laugh, basically, wherever wherever I can do that and however I can do that. And I want to stretch myself as a performer um, and stretch Ada as a character. And But primarily it's about the audience, it's audience focused. So if I can have a good time, I can make people laugh and I can um, stretch stretch that space for all of us. And that's where I want to be. I don't really have a, a goal per se. Well, I do, I have secret goals that I'm not going to tell you, but. Uh, I suppose my, my kind of day-to-day -day goals would be making people laugh, getting more work and um, not restricting myself for artificial reasons. Like, I don't think I'm going to go scuba diving as Ada Camp. I don't think that's on the agenda, um, but I would like to do, I'd like to move into spaces um, where I think I could thrive and entertain an audience um, and not be scared of, of moving into those spaces rather than create kind of a particular legacy for the character. So with everything that's sort of happened and all the shows and all these gigs you've done, I, I, in one of the podcasts I had, is one of the guys says that when he's gigging in South Africa, he has to worry if he does badly, it may, he may bump twice. As I heard that. I heard that, yeah. And have you, because you played such a wide variety of different rooms and circuits, have you had any real bonkers experiences? I did a magic show for dogs. I got asked <laughs> to do... Um, so I was part of a, a group that did a magic show for dogs in Brighton, at Brighton Open Air Theatre. It was called The Great Houndini. And my friend uh, David, who's a magician, phoned me up and said, would you like to, would Ada like to come and do uh, a set at a magic show for dogs? And that felt quite mad. And I'm personally, I'm allergic to dogs. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> basically, it was my same stuff with a few terrible dog puns thrown in, but that felt like quite a unique experience. 
uh, doing a magic show for dogs. Sadly, it wasn't just dogs. That would have been genius. It was dogs and humans, which is disappointing. But um, dogs is quite bonkers. Um, yeah, I think so a couple of kind of sometimes sort of corporate things can feel quite surreal. Um, or you can get, sometimes you think, well, why have they booked me for this? We did a gig once for the SAS. Um, <laughs> who had booked a feminist cabaret troupe to come and perform for them, which was interesting. And it was very interesting to be in that space and perform cabaret for them. And that felt like one of those, gosh, wow, well, we're here moments. Um, so yeah, you again, it's sort of not taking it personally and trying to be in the moment rather than second guess things before you've even done what you're doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, there've been definitely some weird experiences, but in all those spaces, I think it's just, yeah, it's knowing who you are or knowing who the character is and, and just going, well, here we are, let's go. Like I did something, the first time I did something for like the brownies and the girl guides in Scotland. I was like, why am I standing in front of a room full of 700 small children? <laughs> um, well, extraordinary. And then just do it and see what happens and then worry about it afterwards. Um, so yeah, there've been a few weirdnesses, but nothing on the level of, you know, uh, what, your, what your previous uh, interviewee was describing. Thank goodness, touch wood. Yes, <laughs> it, it would be. Have you have you been abroad and tried the character out in like different places? No, be... I'd love to. There were some few things on the horizon that got pulled by COVID, and I was very sad about that. Hopefully, one ah. day I will be able to do. Yeah, I'd love to actually. Um, if we can get the duck through customs, then yeah. Of course, man. Of course. Do you ever feed the? The duck bread, like <laughs> I don't, I don't. The duck, yeah, the duck seems to seems to not need a lot of sustenance. Um, just a bit, of, but a bit of laughter, a bit of laughter and stage light. That's all she needs. <laughs> I could be a joke there. Don't worry, guys. This duck special it just needs your laughs. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a laugh powered duck. I don't know. That's one of the things that I loved about the duck because it is it's just because I remember being a kid. And then, like watching magic shows, and then feeding the duck, and you put them together, and it's just like, oh my god, that's brilliant! Oh, thank you. She, she, duck's not in my next show actually, um, but it's something I use a lot for um, kind of little cabaret spots. Where I have little twenty-minute spots. There's a magic, a brilliant magic venue in in South London, and I'll often use the duck there because again, the audience think they're so like, they're going to be so highfalutin and see all this magic, and then you go look at the duck, and they just giggle because it's so silly, and that's a, that's a lovely space to be in, definitely. Oh, that's when's it when's it on? I might might come and watch. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't, well, they haven't reopened after the um, after the COVID thing. My next, I'm doing a sort of work in progress show this weekend at the Above the Stag Theatre in Vauxhall in their new cabaret lounge. So I'm doing um. Uh, an evening show called Jollies with Ada Camp where I'm going to try out some new magic and some new stories and a new song and um, again really take advantage of that space to to sort of try some new material in a more probably in a more overt way than I would have done before but because we didn't get to do I had a new show planned for the stand for Edinburgh for 2020 and never really got to do the work in progress gigs to to make that happen so I'm trying to trying to kind of uh, insert those and as I've got Ada shows I did the live stream show in lockdown and I did a couple of live shows last year which was great with social distance audiences so I've just been throwing new stuff at it um topping and tailing it with stuff I know and obviously giving the audience a lovely experience but just trying to get as much new material in front of audiences as possible um it to, to work on on the show for whenever we get 
you know, to go back up there or, you know, just do another full hour again. I, I spoke to um, some comedians that are in Edinburgh at the moment and they said a good number of them are still open, but like there's, there's, there's a few that have closed down. So, I mean, some people, it's, it's all mixed and matched. Like some people saying, this is going to go ahead, Edinburgh, this is going to happen, this is that. It's, it's all like gossip mongering things going on. There's, no one knows what's going to happen. But like, what, what, what's your sort of opinion on, on, on festivals like Adelaide, Melbourne, uh, Edinburgh and all these things in the future? How, how will people adapt? I don't know. I mean, hopefully they will go ahead. It's, uh, it's different. I mean, the, the Australian festivals are different, aren't they, from Edinburgh? The, the huge issue with Edinburgh is obviously the kind of financial pressure of it. And when I went as an actor, I had a horrible couple of horrible experiences there as an actor in shows, then one really good experience as an actor. Um, but I much prefer being a comic and a cabaret person there. Um, you've got much more freedom. Um, but I do think the hierarchies of Edinburgh are really difficult. And in terms of who gets to play what spaces and what their visibility is, I don't know how much will change, but hopefully it will change when things reopen. Um, I know the Australian festivals are you know, more are smaller and more focused, I suppose, in terms of in terms of their output. Um, yeah, it's tricky to say. I mean, if I was based in Scotland, I used to be. If I was based in Scotland, I'd consider doing kind of a couple of one-off things this year if, if spaces were available. But it's just, I don't think it's worth for for me, certainly for me at my level, it's like a London-based comic to go up and do to do shows. I think would just be dangerous for everybody involved and a bit of a vanity project. It's probably easiest to stay and consolidate and work where we can at the minute. And then when you, when things properly open up, then, then to be able to go up, all guns blazing. But I don't know how, how many small spaces they'll be able to use anymore. That may not be a bad thing. A lot of those places are really inaccessible, which means certain audiences can't get to them. And there's all that kind of sound bleed and a lot of artists feel very exploited. So it may provoke a rethinking of Edinburgh. I don't know to what extent that will actually kind of prove um, actionable in for, for actual you know, performers and comics and audiences. I guess we'll just have to see. But I have no secret inside information, I apologize. Not yet, but Ada might, Ada might. <laughs> well, Ada, you see, she she knows an awful lot of things and she doesn't tell me everything. So, uh, um, yeah. Build a mystery. <laughs> it is. It is. I'd love, I'd love to see a film with Ada. You know, have her be like a villain or something or be some sort of, um, some sort of character in some sort of adventure film. I think she'd be great at that. I think she'd be really, just imagine her on a chair with a duck, going, hello, Mr. Bond, you've come to see me again. I think it'd be great. I think it would work really well. <laughs> be brilliant. <laughs> Vodka martini, shaking or stirred. What would she drink? She likes a bit of whiskey, Ada. She likes a whiskey and a brandy and a bit of fizz. We'd have to come up with some crazy cocktail for her. It's like really okay. specific. <laughs> Yeah. So it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I just want to say, um, what what have been biggest lesson you've learned in your journey, and you give to person starting out, and what would you like to plug? Okay, uh, thank you. I think. <clears throat> lessons wise I suppose the lesson from for me from me would be play the long game I think if you want to do it 
the only way to do it is by doing it you can't you can't suddenly be good at it by not doing it and you can have one sort of lucky show we all have that um, but actually the only way to get better is to is to fail and push on through um, and that you'll meet an awful lot of people who talk an awful lot of bullshit you know or play all sorts of mind games and and um, if you really want to improve you'll stick around and in three or four years time those people will have you know long since given up um, because they're not getting the praise that they feel they deserve the best way I think to move forward is to be to be courageous and uh, slightly kind of bullheaded <laughs> um but also really to listen to the audience and push through and if your gut is telling you i want to do this i really feel there's something here i feel i don't know i don't know what it is when i'm on stage but i feel that there's you know i don't feel like this anywhere else or i really want to express myself or i've got this story i want to tell then you tell it and if you have something to say you should say it and you can get better at saying it do seek advice do seek help do you know, go to writing courses do ask for help from other people um but the best thing you can do is persevere because that's the only way you'll get practice and don't be put off by people who seem to be really confident. Um, if they're putting you down, they're not confident, actually. They're really underconfident. So just you you do you and do you on purpose. That's the, the trickiest thing to learn, I think, is to be yourself on purpose on stage um, and to realise what you do and to embrace all your ticks and quirks and however you say things or however you work, to embrace those things and then to use them to your advantage. So do you on purpose, have confidence, don't believe the bullshit, um and uh in terms of plugs uh, follow ada camp on twitter and instagram um and uh if this comes out before the 26th of june come and see Ada's show at jollies if not please do um come and see ada do variety cabaret comedy um singing a uh, bit of magic whatever you like and it would be lovely to see you uh in in another show yes all right everyone that's been Naomi. Hope you've enjoyed it. Make sure you watch her show. Her link will be in the description. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.